Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in the middle of October and that means that we're in the the middle of our month-long celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We're reminding ourselves of some of the great truths of, of that movement with our sermon series on Reformation Solas. topic for today is sola fide, which means faith alone. In the Bible, uh, faith is used in, in many different ways. Today we're going to think especially about two ways in which that happens. Those are listed in your sermon outline on, on page four in the uh, service folder. First, we, we know that, that faith accepts as true what God says in his word. So let's start with a biggie. Let's start with one that's pretty incredible, which means unbelievable, right? It's very incredible that God says in his word about you and me that we are holy in Christ. And that's actually what our text for today is talking about. That's uh, printed at the top of the, uh, of the sermon outline. And there we are. Uh, St. Paul in the book of Romans here is talking about Abraham. We heard about him in the epistle lesson today, or both readings actually. And there uh, in our text, St. Paul says of Abraham, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. See, it wasn't really righteousness, but it was credited to him that way. And the same thing is true for us. Through faith, we also receive credit for something we didn't do. For something Jesus did. He was delivered for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. What that means is that God says, in Christ, our sins are gone. And therefore, we are holy through faith alone. Hard as it can be for us to believe that, to accept as true what God says there because of what we know about ourselves, faith takes God at his word and trusts him when he says that we are holy. But he also tells us something else that might be equally difficult for us to, uh, to grasp and, and to accept as true. And that is not only does he call us to, to be holy, not only are we holy in Christ, but because of Christ we also act that way. We act holy. 
I don't know how that sounds to you. Maybe it sounds like, no, I don't want to do that. Where's the fun in that? Or maybe it's impossible. I, I can't be holy. I can't live without sin. Well, that's certainly a true statement. It's helpful for us to note that the word holy usually means without sin, but at its root it also can mean something else, and, and that is to be separate or distinct. And that we can do. In fact, that is what God calls us to do and to be, and that is different from others, from those who don't know Jesus as the Savior. Different in our speech. So our speech is not vulgar and, and profane, but kind and, and gentle and uplifting. In our actions, we, we don't seek to do what is best for us, but, but rather what is best for others. Different. Martin Luther said quite a bit about this. It's kind of amazing when you think about it because, because he was the great champion of the scriptural truth that, that salvation is through faith alone. And yet Luther also was very strong in saying that faith is never alone. Let's just, uh, I'll read you a couple of quotes from Luther. He says, faith is a very mighty, active, restless, busy thing which introduces the Christian to a new manner and, and way of life so that it's impossible for him not to do good works without ceasing. And then he echoes Jesus and says, For as naturally as a tree bears fruit, good works follow upon faith. Or this one. For although faith is enough for salvation and I obtain the kingdom of heaven through faith, good works must nonetheless follow or my faith is not genuine. Genuine faith. Like Abraham, maybe. Or maybe not. If you know Abraham's story, you know that uh, he had trouble trusting just as we do. I'm going to read now from uh, the, the verses just before our text about Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. And, and Paul is talking here about Abraham and Sarah having trouble conceiving. And he says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. They had been promised Isaac and, and thousands of descendants. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what was promised. Well, when you read that account in the book of Genesis, you get a slightly different version of it. Paul says that, that Abraham and Sarah trusted God, even though they were having trouble conceiving, trusted God to fix the problem and to keep his promise. We read in the book of Genesis that uh, Abraham decided to help God out with this. And so he had a child with Sarah's servant, Hagar. You know, that really shouldn't surprise us, should it? Nor should it become an excuse for us with, with our own failures of faith. In a lot of ways, Abraham is just like us. And just like us, Abraham had an important lesson to learn. 
And that is, not only does faith accept as true what God says, it also learns to trust what God promises. We read Luther again. It is the peculiar nature of faith to deal with and to believe that which is not yet present, though it has no other assurance than the knowledge that God neither lies nor deceives. That's talking about trust. Now sometimes when a preacher wants to demonstrate trust, he'll, he'll set up a chair and uh, he'll talk about the chair and how the chair can hold his weight. And, and, but how do you know if he really trusts that chair? Only when he sits in it. Well, that illustration uh, reminded me of a chair that, that I have at home. I'll, I'll show you it uh, in just a minute. Um, but first, I guess I should give a little explanation. Uh, most of you probably don't know that I actually have a favorite college football team. I'm, I'm very careful publicly to remain neutral in that matter. Okay, um, now my comeuppance, so uh, congratulations uh, to Michigan State. The Spartans certainly outplayed Michigan last weekend and, uh, and deserved that victory. And also I want to say thanks to the Spartans fans. For the most part anyway, they've been very kind to me. Uh, this past week. A, a couple times it looked like some of them were, were just about to say something and then they, they backed off. I think maybe they saw the tear in my eye or something. I'm not sure. But where all of this is going is to this, this chair. And really it isn't the chair as much as it is the sleeve that the chair is in. So it's, it's a Michigan chair. Nothing special about it. It's got the old logo on it. But right above the logo is a signature. That's the autograph of Bo Schembechler. A lot of you recognize him as the uh, uh, Michigan coach several, many years ago. And what's especially special about this is he signed this the day before he died. He didn't sign it for me. He signed a bunch of these and, and these were given out at a, uh, at a business uh, a man's luncheon in, uh, in Saginaw that I had been invited to to uh, uh, to say the opening prayer, and we all got that. Well, when I got that, and, and the, the luncheon took place after Bo had died, so when I got that and, and his autograph was on there, I thought, wow, this is special. This is, uh, this is really valuable. So I'm not going to mess it up by using that chair. I'm not going to sit in it and, and maybe wear it out. And you know what happened? It, uh, it got put in the basement. And when I thought about it for this illustration today, I, I, I thought I was pretty sure I knew where it was, and actually I did at least remember where it was, so I didn't have to hunt around too much to get it, but I did have to dust it off. And I'm thinking, I wonder how often our faith is like that. Where, oh, it's so valuable to us, it really is, and, and so we decide to protect it and, and, and not to wear it out. And so maybe we just kind of put it somewhere where it stays and, and maybe we can find it when we need it or, or maybe not so easily. Here's the really important thing to know. You can wear out a chair, can't you, by sitting in it every day. That doesn't happen with faith. In fact, the more we use our faith, the stronger it becomes. Now, I do want to be a little bit uh, careful with this because I, I don't want to give the impression that, that faith is, is something we 
do, or that it's, well, all we have to do is, is have faith. It's not that simple, is it? Sometimes we forget that, and, and the, the problem there is when we begin to think that faith is something we do, then it's, we think it's something that we can do better, that we can trust God more if we just try hard enough. And here's how sometimes that plays out. Maybe, uh, maybe we think or we say something along the lines of, you know, if, if she just trusted God more, she wouldn't worry so much, or I wouldn't worry so much. But you know, some of the strongest Christians I know are also the biggest worriers. It's not a matter of, of trust. You know, and, and actually I want to make sure that, because the last thing I want to do is to add yet one more item to a worrier's worry list. Well, now let's go back uh, to Abraham and maybe kind of wrap this up. Do you, do you wonder why we're given two different accounts of, of Abraham's faith in the Bible, one in the Old Testament and, and one in the New Testament? It is not because in the New Testament, Paul and the writer of the Hebrews are, are trying to cover up what Abraham did. No, that history is well known. It's because, like us, Abraham had a split personality. On the one hand, he was a sinner whose, whose sins are well documented in the Old Testament. On the other hand, he was a saint, exactly the way St. Paul described him in our sermon text. A saint is still a sinner. But she or he is a forgiven sinner. And that makes all the difference in the world. It made that difference for Abraham. It makes that difference for us as we learn to trust God, to trust his promises at, at all times, good times and the hard times. You know, each of those presents a, a unique challenge to us, doesn't it, to, for trusting God. When, when times are good, the, the challenge is for us to, to not forget God. And when times are hard, the challenge is for us to not blame God. Isn't it easy when, when times are good to just kind of go with the flow? You don't really have to think about God all that much because everything's going so well and we don't always think to to thank him for his grace in our lives and I I think I can probably prove that to you with a simple question when do you pray more when times are good or when they are hard and I'm not saying don't pray when they're hard if if uh, if you didn't pray when they were good I'm I'm just saying it is so easy to forget God when times are good the challenge, on the other hand, when times are hard, is not to blame him. To not think somehow that, that he has abandoned us or, uh, or lied to us. There's been a whole lot going on in our world this last month or so. You've seen videos like this of the devastation caused by the, the wildfires out in California. But, you know, I could have shown the devastation from Hurricane Harvey or Irma or Maria. We could have shown some of that horrible footage from, from Las Vegas. 
And times like that, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Or, or maybe when it gets more personal and there's, there's hard times in our own lives personally, it's pretty easy to say, well, where's God in all of this? It's pretty easy to start to blame God. The challenge is to remember that His grace is there for us in the hard times and also in the good times. Well, I'm going to end the sermon with uh, a little clip from the Luther uh, video. And this is when uh, some of the rulers of Germany were called before the Emperor Charles V. And you'll see what, uh, what happened with that. Beloved princes of the empire, I will be brief and to the point. Your ministers shall not preach. And you will outlaw these Bibles in the common language. And declare anyone who possesses one an enemy of the state. We will not stop our ministers from preaching the word, here or anywhere else. Do not concede, my lord. We will not outlaw the new Bible, my lord. It's a sign of your loyalty to me. Tomorrow you shall all march in the Corpus Christi procession to the cathedral and worship, all of you, in the Roman manner. We will not, my lord. You will! Or you shall know my soul! Before I let anyone take from me the word of God and ask me to deny my belief, I will kneel and let him strike off my head. Your Highness, we have drawn up a confession of our faith, which I believe you will find blameless. Talk about faith. A faith that accepts as true what God says and, and has learned to trust what God promises. The kind of faith we want to have. The kind of faith we do have. By God's grace. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.